Welcome to Mind, Body, Spirit, Food. I'm your host, Nikki Sizemore, and in this podcast, we'll explore the rituals, traditions, and cultural influences around food and how they connect us to our minds, our bodies, our spirits, the earth, and our communities. This is a space that's dedicated to bringing more presence, ease, and joy into the process of feeding ourselves. Let's dive in. Welcome to episode five. Ooh, I got so many chills during today's conversation. I talk with Krissa Chikiris, founder of Well Collab Acupuncture and Proof of Life, which you'll learn about in just a few minutes. We go deep in this episode, examining how the umbrella of patriarchy, which includes misogyny, racism, ageism, capitalism, influences how we nourish ourselves. We talk about this structure of conditioning and how we can begin to get out of it, to reclaim our sovereignty and freedom as humans and as eaters. In fact, it's so simple, but so powerful. And this goes for both women and men. I think this conversation is going to provide us all with a bit of grace, taking away the blame we misguidedly put upon ourselves and offering real tools for finding our authentic expression within a culture that often tries to suppress it. Let's dive in. Krista, hey, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is exciting. It's so exciting. Krista and I met, how many years ago do you think we met? I think it was 2015 or 2016. And obviously our interests are aligned, and I love right. that our paths have continued along the same direction that we've kept in touch, even though we've only met each other in person one time, which is amazing. It's so interesting because because of social media, it's so easy to do that, which yes, is amazing. Yes. And also we own our own businesses and we subscribe yeah. to each other's things. And therefore, yeah. you get to see each other. And like you said, our interests align. And so we've always, you know, just kind of kept in touch, which I think is so cool. It is. That is definitely the benefit of social media right there. Right, right. There's so many things I hate about social media right now. The one benefit. The one. (laughs) All right. So we're going to kick things off with a question that I ask all of my guests. And that is, what is your cultural upbringing and how has that influenced your relationship to food? So I am Greek-American and I was raised very traditionally Greek-American So Mm -hmm. you can think my big fat Greek wedding. Okay. (laughs) And it's, you know, not exactly that, but any Greek American who was raised within the Greek community is going to resonate with that movie. And so a lot of people have seen it. And so I often give that as kind of a jumping off point. My parents were not that first generation. My dad was first generation, but speaks English fluently and without an accent and all of that. But very much having your foot in two worlds. And so I definitely went to school with like, you know, spanakopita in my lunch and being like, oh God, I'm the weird kid and this is going to smell. And, you know, I also was very much American. So Mm. in the way that I grew up, I can tell a a funny story that kind of Mm -hmm. illuminates the way that I felt with it, I think I was about nine and we had to make brownies for like Girl Scouts or something. And so I'm doing it. I've been in the kitchen with both my parents and I've cooked before and like, I got this. I know how to put water and oil and eggs together. Like I'm nine. I got this figured out. And so I do all of that. And 
we get it in the oven and they come out and my mom and my sister like excitedly are sitting there to try them. And they just like, my sister just spits it out. My mom's face just like crumbles into laughter. And I am just like (laughs) heartbroken. I have no idea what's going on. Right. And so I'm like, telling them what I did. I'm like, I put in the oil and the eggs and the water and I got all of this. Yes. And I think it was my mom through kind of like really trying to hold her face together. And she's like, what kind of oil did you use? And I was like, oil, the only kind of oil that there is. Because to me, the only type of oil that there was was not just olive oil, but extra virgin olive oil. Mm. And so this is still family lore. (laughs) And my sister still sends me recipes for any kind of dessert that has olive oil in it and is like, hey, have you made this? It's so funny because to me, that sounds so delicious, but I can understand if it was like a bitter olive oil or yeah. a pungent olive yeah. oil, how yeah. that would not quite marry. Yeah, well. I'm sure because like to this day, I really only like olive oil that's like spicy and bitter and has like, mm, you know, the funk yeah. in the bottom. And yeah. so I'm assuming I am that way because that's what I had in my childhood. Sure. And so I think that's mm-hmm. what I made the brownies with. I love that. Okay, so you grew up kind of straddling two worlds in a way. Why don't you briefly describe what it is you do and kind of, you know, how you got there? So I'm an acupuncturist. And how I got here, you know, I don't know when acupuncture came into my world because that's not the world that I ever straddled, right? Like I had my Mm -hmm. foot in two different cultures. Obviously, Chinese culture was not one of them. So my sister is a veterinarian, and she started taking acupuncture courses for animals. And she actually now is completely holistic and has her own holistic practice and no longer practices conventional veterinary medicine. It was somewhere along those lines. She also was getting acupuncture. She recommended that I get it. I honestly don't remember when it became familiar enough to me that saying yes to needles in my body felt like an okay thing to do, right? Because being Western-minded, that's just not the way that we think about things. And it was a time in my life that I call my country music song time where like I was going through a breakup and my grandmother died and my dog got really sick. And like, it was like all of these things that Mm -hmm. kind of like happened in secession. And I started getting acupuncture for this very physical thing. And I felt better. Like not only did my physical thing clear up, but my emotional worldview that I very much had had my whole life, but felt very poignant at that point in time, just kind of cleared. And it was like the fog lifted. And that was so revolutionary to me, so much so that I was in school for psychology and I really wanted to become a psychologist. And I just kind of pivoted and I went to acupuncture school instead. Wow. Now, so today you have your own practice. I do. And you have something called proof of life, which I'm very curious about. Could you describe what that is? Yeah. So proof of life is an online course and it is kind of a combination of a lot of different things that I see in my practice, a lot of things that I do in my practice. And I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, like I said, I wanted to be a therapist. And at Mm -hmm. the end of the day... Helping people feels like this kind of drive that I have. And I can't even say it's in like this altruistic way. Like it really feels like I am driven to do it Mm -hmm. in a way that not is outside of how it affects people. Obviously, like that needs to happen. The helping of people needs to happen within that. 
But I really feel like it's kind of my mission here, Earthside, to help in the ways that I in particular can help. So I've been an acupuncturist for 10 years and I've been in private practice that whole time. And as a practice grows, and especially a practice that is energetic in nature because acupuncture works Mm -hmm. with energy, you draw a lot of the same thing. And you draw, what I have found is you draw a lot of what you're going through or what you have been through. And you draw Mm -hmm. people to you who you can help because you have been through it yourself. And that's not strictly true, but viewing it through that lens has been really helpful for me, especially in being able to create a program such as this, where, you know, not everyone is local to me. Not everyone can come in for acupuncture. Not everyone wants to. Some people Mm -hmm. have metal allergies. Some people, they just don't fully grasp it. And it's not going to be a way that they are going to be able to interact and engage with their own healing. And so Proof of Life is a program that combines a lot of my experience in working with women who are largely in their, I would say, late 20s into their mid-50s. It's this large chunk of your life where you are in a career, you are starting a family and you're raising a family, you are interacting with the world in a way that First, when you're younger, is very driven by how you can move through the world as a young woman. And you move into motherhood. And it's not this way for everyone. I work with women who are not mothers. I work with women who do not have careers. So I use kind of the working mom model, but it really fits for anyone where you begin to change and you begin to see that the way that you're putting out energy is not sustainable. And mm-hmm. the way that you are interacting with the world feels a little, you're, you're kind of like, hold on, something's wrong here. Something's, there's yeah. something amiss. I have been sold a story that if I do X, Y, and Z, then I can have mm. it all, right? There's that idea that Gosh. women can have it all. And it's a myth. It's a fallacy. Women can't have it all because no human is meant to do all of that. But it's kind of this like yeah. patriarchal myth that women are sold And then the burden of that lands on you. So proof of life is a lot of feminist education and feminist re-education about the ways that we move through our lives and the lens through which we can look at things in a way that helps us to slightly shift our perspective out of patriarchy and back into our bodies. Because again, I'm an acupuncturist and I work with bodies and A lot of the work that I do and a lot of the way that acupuncture is very healing is through embodiment and being back in your body and getting out of your head. And that's a struggle for me. I was diagnosed with ADHD two years ago, and it made so much of my life and my world make so much sense. Mm. And it kind of clarified and really distilled down to me that like actually being able to have a daily practice of embodiment is so important. And it's not just women with ADHD. It definitely is for women with ADHD, especially if you have a career, especially if you have your own business, especially if you have kids and a family. It's really important to have that practice for yourself. But for anyone, it is so important to kind of come back from being out in the energetic pollution of the world that we live in and just kind of peel some of those layers off. 
It's like the deepest layer of connection. It's so interesting. As you say that, I had a guest on my first guest, Samantha Fulton, who's a physical therapist, and she too was diagnosed as an adult with ADHD. Oh, interesting. And in the podcast, we talk about the nervous system and how the nervous system really influences how we digest information as well as digest physically, how we metabolize things. Yes, absolutely. It really is about, first of all, like being aware that we all have... I guess that we're all normal. Right. And then those physical practices of embodiment and how much that has changed her and changed me, but also it sounds like for you as well. Yeah, I think that embodiment is something that, because I do view it through this kind of anti-patriarchy lens, I think Mm -hmm. embodiment is kind of the antithesis of patriarchy. And I always Mm. say that if you're not in your body, then patriarchy will be. And... It's something that you can see that across the board. You can see that in the work that you do with food. You can see that yeah. in physical work. You can you can see it in your job, in your parenting. And so being in our bodies is kind of radical and revolutionary. And I think that's mm. also a little bit of the work that you have pivoted into in the past few yes. years of going from maybe having these thoughts in your head and in the way that you raise your kids and in your personal life and not really necessarily having it baked into your business. No, exactly. And that caused for me a insane burnout because I was not being authentic. Exactly. And I was projecting this brand that no longer, I'm so grateful for From Scratch Fast, which was my blog and the past cookbooks I've written. But as we grow and evolve and we want to shed, you're exactly right. It felt like I needed to shed all of this conditioning that had been placed upon me. Yeah. And like you just said, it feels inauthentic. And especially when you have your own business and when, you know, people are like, leave work at home. And I'm like, I I don't know, work is in my brain. I can't leave it at home. I cannot respond to emails from my patients. I cannot schedule people. There are, you know, admin things that I cannot do when I am home, but my business is just an outshoot of me. And so it's Mm -hmm. not possible for me to just turn my work brain off because this is the only way that I personally can function with it is that, you know, in order to provide for my family, that I am doing something that is constantly sparking joy for me, right? to be Marie Kondo about it. Well, even when you said this earlier that you treat patients, that your mission is to help people, but really it's not an altruistic thing. (laughs) I love that. I love that because I think actually any kind of service that we can provide, we have to do that for ourselves first. It has to start with us. So if we want to help heal other people, we have to start by healing ourselves. And that has to be the number one priority instead of like this outward looking altruism. Yeah. And and I think that to build off of that, sustainability for women is so important. And this is so much of where burnout comes from. You know, if we are not grounded in our bodies, if we are not in ourselves, if we don't do that daily work of, you know, even three minutes, right, of going into the bathroom and, okay, so I'll give you the meat and potatoes of proof of life is, I teach women embodied movements for the face. And so you can think of facial yoga or facial exercises. And sure, it can be along those lines, but truly the phrase embodied movements is really what I'm going for. And so every day, if you do three minutes or 30 minutes, but you are 
doing something. It's like if you don't clean your house. We have two cats and two dogs and four humans who live here. If we don't (laughs) vacuum every day, there is going to be accumulation. It's not nefarious. It's just dust and hair. But that means that allergies are going to flare up. It means that our air quality is going to be poorer. And so it's the same for our bodies, where if we do not do a daily ritual and a daily cleanup of what has transpired, it doesn't change the fact that if you had a terrible day, it doesn't change the fact that you had a terrible day. But removing some of that residue and working with it in an embodied way and being able to change some of that energetic footprint then means that you can wake up the next day. And, you know, it it is different coming downstairs to pillows put back in their spots and, you know, the pillow fort and all of the blankets being put away Mm -hmm. versus there being, in my case, dinosaurs everywhere. And, (laughs) you know, things that four-year-olds have all over the place. So, you know, if we don't do that daily And it's not this tidying to be perfect because that is another Mm. point that I have that I'm really strong about that there is no such thing as perfect and perfect is dead. If something is perfect, then it is not embodied. It is not enlivened. And women are trained to strive for perfection. And I follow that bouncing ball, which definitely is kind of a radical way of thinking that makes a lot of people uncomfortable because I say that if we are aiming to be perfect, if this is the way that we are conditioned, then society is saying that we are better off. We are more valuable dead than alive. We are more valuable unexpressed. So not showing any proof of life on our face, right? This is why the course Mm. is called proof of life. Show that proof of life because your expression is really this way of moving through a world that is really driven by patriarchy. And by patriarchy, I mean patriarchy the way we think about it. I mean it as colonialism and white supremacy and sexism and misogyny and racism. There is so much that goes into this hierarchy that everyone suffers from it, even the people who we would think are at the top of the food chain. Because if you don't grow then there's no evolution forward, right? And then what's the benefit for anyone? And then actually, then people get locked in, at least the way I see it, then they get locked in these structures of fear because they don't know how to grow. So this is fascinating and so juicy, but let's bring this into the lens of nourishment and food. Yeah, And maybe not just food, but how we nourish our bodies, how we nourish our bodies when we do live in this, I know when you and I were conversing over email, you called it the umbrella of patriarchy. Yeah, And I love that because you're right. It's not just this one thing, but it really does encompass racism and misogyny and capitalism and ageism right. too, right. which I hadn't even thought about. Right. So can we pivot towards how do we nourish ourselves within this umbrella and how do we start to break it apart for our own individual selves? So I think that the best way to do that is understanding that there is that umbrella and that is so important. When I think about that, it is so overwhelming. And I feel Mm -hmm. like, well, what can I do? Mm -hmm. And what we all can do as individuals is start from within. And so to me, that means those daily rituals. To me, that does mean nourishment because I think nourishment is something that, again, is this thing that we are we are socialized 
out of nourishing ourselves. And we are socialized into putting food in, you know, when we're talking about nourishment in terms of like legitimate food, we are socialized into counting calories and eating food that is out of a package and being able to lean into convenience. And there is no... I mean, it's it's nutritive. It can keep us alive, right? But it's not nutritive in the way that we actually nourish ourselves. And so... Well, we're never right. We're never taught how to listen to our bodies. Right. Even further, we're taught to listen to other people. I mean, that's what I believed right. for m- the majority of the first half of my life and into my 30s, that other people had more authority Right. When it came to when and what I should be putting in my body. Because what did I know? And like you mentioned earlier, it's fear-based, right? And so you you learn these things, you take it as fact. And if you don't follow along, then there's some part of you that knows that your social value is going to fall. If you don't fit into X, Y, and Z, and especially if you can easily fit into that, then it gets you to a place where it's like, well, I have to listen to this because this is how I exist in the world. Yeah, you're identified with it. You're identified with it, right? And so it's that if you're not in your body, patriarchy will be. And so Mm -hmm. learning and relearning, right? Teaching our children and reteaching ourselves that the most important thing is to be in your body first and foremost. When you're in your body, then you can intuitively eat. You can intuitively nourish yourself. You can listen to what your body is telling you to do. And that oftentimes for women is not going to be what society and patriarchy is saying you should be doing. And then you come to this point where there's this tension. And I think a lot of girls and women live with this tension throughout their lifespan, right? Some people always do. Some people get to a point where it sounds like both you and I have gotten to where It's like, no more of this. I cannot do this. I have to look at this straight in the face. I have to shine light on it. And part of that for me also is that if it is not constantly in my worldview, I understand I'm just going to get sucked right back into it because we're in it anyway. I would love to live in a world where I can say, you know, I have a shirt with a T-Rex on it and it says, eat the patriarchy. And I would would love to (laughs) eat the patriarchy, but it's not possible in my experience to be able to just dismantle it. It is just the entire world. It's too pervasive. What I do think we can do for our own lives and the way that we can have this strong ripple out effect is by changing ourselves. And I really do believe that because I struggle with, am I helping enough? Am I making enough of an impact? I have a small acupuncture practice in Sleepy Hollow, New York where, you know, I see 30 to 40 people a week. How is that making enough of an impact? But then I think about who my clients are and when they are in their bodies and when they are doing their best work, who are they impacting? Mm-hmm. And that's it. And the people that I work with and anyone that you work with, right? You can be working anywhere. That ripple effect magnifies, right? Mm-hmm. It goes out so far. And so I can know that I'm doing the work that I'm doing in my tiny little office. And it actually is having an effect worldwide. Absolutely. 
Hi there. I just wanted to pop in really quickly and let you know that an easy way that you can support this work is to sign up for the Mind Body Spirit Food newsletter. In the weekly newsletter, you'll get brand new recipes each week, along with my thoughts, ideas, and practical tips for how to bring more ease and joy and freedom into the kitchen. The newsletter is free, although if you become a paid subscriber for just a couple bucks a month, you'll have access to the full recipe archive, along with Q&As, weekly threads, and other fun perks. And if you're already a subscriber, thank you. You can share the newsletter with your friends or even give a gift subscription. I've popped a link into the show notes where you can sign up. Thank you all for listening. And now back to the show. You know, there's something I talk a lot about in my work, and that is sovereignty. For me, it's sovereignty around food because I have had to detangle all of that conditioning. And I have newsletter about that. There's so many ways that we are conditioned around food, but also so many ways that we're conditioned around our bodies and how we right. should think about our bodies. But I feel like there is a absolutely an element of fear when we start to, to step out of those webs because yes. it does bring up a sense of aloneness yes. because we are not part of that anymore. And yet there's also a sense of magic and freedom. Yes. And so what I want to talk about next is, at least from the food world, for me, these can be very small things. These are not just giant steps of like, screw it all. But these right. can be really small ways that you consciously nourish yourself just for the pleasure or for the moment of doing it for yourself. Right. What are some tips that you have from your perspective? So I think that it is really important to, in your daily practice, to get in touch with your intuition. I think that intuition is something that gets scrubbed from society because mm. it's threatening. And I think that we develop language around it that is very distancing. So if you have a gut feeling, you may be like, oh, I'm crazy for thinking this. And, you know, you're maligning this thing that is actually trying to speak to you and not even with any judgment. It's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just trying to speak to you. If I walk past a garbage can and it stinks, my sense of smell is not judging that smell coming from the garbage can. It's just letting me know that there's rotting garbage in the garbage can. Mm -hmm. Or if I see a flower and I know that it's red, there is no judgment there. I can think that it's beautiful. But it's just another sense. And so I think that our intuition truly is just another sense. And it gets taken out of the way that we take in information. And so I think part of the way that we can begin to do this is by reconnecting with ourselves and by connecting with, you know, what is that voice saying? What information is it giving you? It does not need to be information that you find valuable. I can hear a noise and it may not be valuable to me. It just may be that a car is going down the street. That's okay. But listen to it. Know that it's there. Have that awareness. Because I think that as you have that awareness, then that desire to, oh, I want to eat a sandwich. This is really what would feel good to me. You don't have to question that. It's not, mm -hmm. oh, but, oh, God, that has, oh, I'm going to have to get on the treadmill tonight if I do that. And like, it has nothing to do with what comes in and what goes out. It's not transactional in that way. It's this thing where it's like, what is my body saying? And I can just listen to my body. 
so that you're not second guessing yourself. So it's building that trust muscle. It's it, building it, it the really trust. Is. Yeah. And that trust muscle is going to be the antidote to that fear. And another antidote to that fear is things that we're doing right now where we're talking about it. And mm -hmm. when you talk about things, sometimes I am talking about things from my experience or I'm talking about proof of life. And I feel, again, using that kind of distancing language, I feel a little bit crazy. And yeah. I feel like I'm like, oh, God, is anyone listening to me? Does anyone care about this? And then I get this feedback that is wildly supportive and yeah. very much like, oh, I didn't think of it that way. And I also feel this way. And all of these things that people are living with this and we don't yes. have language for it. And if we don't have language for it, how can we name it? And if we can't name it, how can we begin to change it? And it's so fascinating for me too, because what stopped me up for a long time was my own sense of perfectionism. Totally. Because I felt like I had to do this path in that kind of <laughs> umbrella of like perfectionism. Right. Whereas it's all just a path and we're going to make mistakes, but we're going to learn like, oh my God, if I stop connecting to myself, if I stop that, then there's nothing. Then there's nothing. So it doesn't have to be a perfect path. It doesn't have to look perfect. <laughs> I guess I just want to reiterate that. I just want to keep the conversation going. I don't want us to be afraid of talking. Right. Because we're afraid we might make a mistake or say right. the wrong thing. We will. Like, right. That Absolutely. Is, yes, we will. Absolutely. We will make mistakes. And that's the way that we change. And that's how we learn. And that's how we move forward. And if it's perfect, then there's nowhere to go with it. Then it's mm -hmm. static right? It's just there. And going back to what I said about perfection before, you know, you're saying that your perfectionism got in your own way. Well, I think that's by design. I think that, you know, you can say, oh, Nikki, you got in your own way. But Nikki, you were conditioned to get in your own way. And mm. patriarchy uses these tools so that we can keep ourselves in place, so that we self-police, so that we feel so afraid and we feel like, we have to stay right where we are. And there's no moving out of that because that's the way things are. That's what it yeah. is for women. And I think that moving out of that and talking about moving out of that without the perfection is actually, there's so much power in that. There's so much magic in that because other people hear that. And what they hear, they don't hear the things that we hear. They don't hear the quivering voice. They don't hear the repetition. They don't hear the, the cringeworthy things that we hear. And if they do, okay, cool, great. Because there's also a message there. And the message is the thing that resonates, right? The mm -hmm. veneer of perfection is a farce. And I think everyone mm -hmm. knows that. So just being able to drop it and just being able to talk about these things that yeah. really hold a lot of people back. You know, I want to say women, but everyone, really, like every single person is punished by this type of worldview that we all have to subscribe to. And, you know, I say have to subscribe to because it's the world that we live in. Every facet of the world is patriarchal. The way that we begin to unwind that, I think, is going back to embodiment. And that's embodiment is honoring the food that you eat and honoring your intuition and building that trust muscle, like you said, 
and being able to be in your body. And when it comes to food and when it comes to women's relationship with food, that's such a radical thing to be in your body and listen to your body. Because if all women did that, would there be billion-dollar industries of dieting and plastic surgery and beauty? So much, I mean, billions, billions of dollars that go into these industries. And the way that those industries are fed is because very reliably women are going to buy things. Yes. When are we good enough? You know, when are we good enough? When have we met? When have we followed all the rules and done all the things? I mean, that goes back so subconsciously. Oh, absolutely. And then you get to subconsciously. You get to a point where you do all of that. It's like you won. You get a hundred percent. Now what? And you know, even looking for a prize in and of itself is a type of conditioning, right? And so Mm -hmm. taking it even out of the framework of good enough and working that language out of our vernacular so that we're not looking at it as good or bad. We're not looking at it as perfect or imperfect, but rather seeing the truth and the humanity that lives within those confines and Mm being able to creatively express ourselves and be authentic and be real without these, you know, we started with what's the only good thing about social media, right, is being able to keep in touch with people that you've met once. Social media right now is warping the way that small humans are understanding what it means to be human and not just small humans, right? Adults as well, everyone. Everyone uses social media and has this idea of what lives are like and what people look like. And it's so damaging and it's so disconnecting, right? Part of it also is that that gets you further and further out of your body. And again, to be a bit of a broken Mm. record, patriarchy then can come back in. The way you're describing it, I've had so many moments of chills in this conversation, but it can be as simple when we talk about these things, it can feel so overwhelming and it can be as simple as being embodied, working on being embodied in our own selves, connected, so connected to our intuition, to our gut feeling, to our sense of who we truly are. It's that simple. It's of course, it's not simple, (laughs) but that's how we start to regain our freedom, right? That is. And to bring food into it, you know, like you just said, it can be so overwhelming, but then we distill it down to, you know, what impact can I have? And what I can do is I can work on being embodied for myself and I can work on nourishing myself. And there is so much power in making decisions for myself that feel good. And sometimes that's a piece of chocolate cake and sometimes that's a big Greek salad. And being able to do that in a way that is nourishing for my body because that is where my intuition lives. I do not think it is a coincidence that we call it a gut feeling. Mm -hmm. Our bodies, they house so much power and our ability to tap into it. You know, I work with people day in and day out who lots of them are not connected to their bodies. And Mm -hmm. acupuncture is a way that you know, they can weekly 
flex that muscle a little bit. But then a lot of people go out into the world and they're living their lives. And it's really hard to maintain that throughout the day. Yeah. And I just want to acknowledge really quickly that connection to your body for a lot of people who might be listening. And I certainly had this myself. This is why I can say this is you might not even like your body. You might have no relationship with your body. And so that's okay. That's okay. That's this okay. Is what, this is how we're conditioned. So that's this not is, your fault. And and that's this part of why fault. I have so much education baked into proof of life because women are conditioned to have combative relationships with their bodies. We are conditioned to use language that is derogatory and demeaning about mm-hmm. the thing that takes us through our lives, right? Like our our bodies are this is all we got and we are we are made to feel as though making that thing perfect for largely the male gaze is more important than being comfortable in our own skin. And so it's something that lots of people are uncomfortable with their bodies and don't like their bodies. And understanding why I think can can soften yes. the blow a little bit yeah. to be able to say, you know, I'm a perfectionist. I did this to myself because I'm a perfectionist and now I'm a recovering type A person. And that may be the case, but you kind of didn't do it of your own volition. You were Mm-mm. socialized into behaving this way. Some of it is, you know, be a good girl. Some of it is be invisible. And that's how can you be a good girl is by being as small as possible, being as unexpressed as possible, as quiet as possible. And then you come out of that and there is this element of self-blame because after all, you're the one who did it, right? You engaged in that for decades. And I would love to give anyone the permission to feel that that's not their fault. Mm. Just because you were a part of it doesn't doesn't mean that you are to blame because it's really hard to be a cog in such a giant machine. And it's really hard to have agency when you are so strongly socialized with through fear, right? Because it's through fear. It's through what is love. What are our ideas of love? And for women, so much of our patriarchal socialization is baked into that. And being able to Simply, like you said, it's not simple because we have very complicated relationships with our bodies and our faces. But to begin that practice one step at a time of being embodied, practicing that, because it is a practice. It's not linear. It's going to be all over the place. There are going to be times that you just can't do it and that's okay. But the point is, is that you practice and you get better and you get better and you get better and you get to a point where suddenly you realize that your worldview has shifted a tiny bit, but even, you know, one degree of shifting and that trajectory is wildly different. Yes. Oh, thank you. I also want to mention that for all of the men listening, you guys feel this way too. The patriarchy affects you in the same way that affects women. So don't feel like you're not part of the same level of conditioning you can feel all of the same things. And so it's about us all unraveling that for ourselves. 
And I often don't talk about men because I don't feel like that's my experience. Well, I, not that I don't feel that way. It's not my experience. And so speaking from my own experiences is where I have my power. But men are harmed. Everyone is harmed. Everyone yes. is harmed. And so there is truth in this for everyone. The socialization is different for men. It is no less yes. harmful. Ooh, I could talk to you for days, but <laughs> we're going to start to wrap things up. And this is a question I do ask all my guests too, and it has just nothing to do with anything we've talked about, but it is <laughs> pure fun. <laughs> it's your last meal on earth. What would it be? Oh, God. I mean, so when I was pregnant, all I wanted was Greek food. It was just like, go back to my roots. All mm -hmm. of my pregnancy cravings, I had music cravings in my pregnancy. Oh, and they were, they were so sensory. I had so many sensory cravings. And mm. I realized that they were cravings because they were so particular. And I was having food cravings too. And I was like, whoa, this is all kind of the same. And so... I think that where I go back to when I am kind of going back to my roots and what is feels really good to me is mm -hmm. just like if I had a last meal, it would be all of my favorite Greek foods, I think, which is... What are they? So dandelion greens are like my favorite. And mm. my neighbor, bless her heart, she goes to the farmer's market and she brings me a bunch and I just boil them up and ugh, I just love them. So simple, right? They're literally weeds and they're like my favorite food. <laughs> and I would do, as mentioned before, a big Greek salad. And I love souvlaki. I would do like probably some chicken souvlaki. And so I would just kind of have, I think, like a medley of all of those things that really remind me of who I am. And that would be a really satisfying last meal. I love it. I would love to share that meal with you, but not as your last meal, just as a meal. <laughs> okay, Kursa, where can people find you and where can they find Proof of Life if they're interested in checking it out? Yes, yeah, so they can find me at wellcollab.com and you can also find Proof of Life there. So it's a tab at the top of the website. It's also wellcollab.com slash proof dash of dash life. And so everything that I do is basically there. You know, there's a link to my Instagram where I also do a lot of kind of we're starting a grassroots medical advocacy nonprofit and you can find information and interact with that there. And so basically at the website is where you can go to find anything having to do with me. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and for this conversation. And I have no doubt that the ripple effect will certainly play a part here. Let's keep the conversation going. For all of you listening out there, please pipe in and let us know how you are feeling embodied today. Bye, Krista. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much. This was so great. Thank you so much for listening. If this work resonates with you in any way, you can support it by leaving a review or comment or sharing it with friends. Also, you can sign up for the newsletter, Mind, Body, Spirit, Food. And by becoming a paid member for just $5 a month, you help fund this entire project. Thank you so much to all of you who are already subscribed, especially to those paid subscribers. This work could not happen without you. I'm Nikki Sizemore, and as always, remember to nourish yourself with intention and love.